0: For August 12th, 2013, it's the Overthinking and Podcast, episode 267. Elysium, where all the wealth is concentrated for some reason on a spaceship. <music> Welcome to the overthinking at podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew rather from Los Angeles, California uh, site of the, the new film starring Matt Damon Elysium. Uh, and no, Los Angeles is not Elysium. I know you were <laughs> you were all thinking it, <laughs> but uh, no, Los Angeles is a uh, crazy dystopia of uh, of poverty and um, and bilingualism. And uh, Elysium is an orbiting space station peopled by Jodie Foster. Uh so there's and,
1: that. And, and other white people.
0: And yes, several white people and one token Indian and robots. <laughs> uh so uh yes, we're gonna talk about Elysium with the panel today. Panel, your question in honor of Elysium, uh, in which Matt Damon dons a robotic exoskeleton suit to um Uh, to fight crime no to fight injustice (laughs) fighting crime and fighting injustice they're they're related but distinct fields right like because some crime involves injustice so it's a two overlapping circles venn diagram wise it's the venn diagram that looks kind of like a butterfly like an abstracted butterfly with circles for wings uh what um what social ill what injustice what uh, violation of civil or human rights uh, will you don a robotic exoskeleton to fight? And how how will the exoskeleton help you to do that? Uh, drink, because he's person in the alphabet. It's Peter Fenzel.
2: Uh, thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad you brought this up because this is – because every man – is destined has one special
0: fight (laughs) one special
2: thing according everybody has a nun that tells them when they're a kid that you have one special thing that you're going to do and only one and everything else doesn't matter no sorry I get a little caught up in the lore and mythology of Elysium it's so rich Matt it's such a rich texture tapestry of a film um, with so many details that then don't uh, (laughs) matter never mind Um, so if you've been paying attention to the Washington U.S. Court of Appeals which I know you have You might have found out in July that uh, there has been a a terrible injustice, asymmetry even, uh, that is being visited upon our country that needs exoskeleton-oriented recompense. I am, of course, talking about the, uh, the stripping of regulatory authority from Amtrak to set standards dealing with the evaluation of late performance uh, due to freight train difficulties that are happening on the freight-owned Amtrak uh, railroad lines that Amtrak operates its passenger service on. Uh, Now, you may ask yourself, well, why does this matter? And I'll tell you why it matters, (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) rail is the future. Look, Elysium may tell you that the future is a hellscape that is <laughs> full of really, really close-up shots of mildly crowded rooms and like wide shots of really poorly structured living situations. Uh, but no, the future is rail. And passenger rail, uh, using magnets and other magic, is cleaner and more efficient than air travel <laughs> in the future. And if, if passenger rail is beholden to freight rail companies, uh, both for... The safety and performance of the rails and for the standards associated with liability for off-time performance, how are we supposed to get to this bright, brave new tomorrow? Uh, And that's where the exosuit comes in. You see, um, by using the exosuit, uh, I'll be able to stand in front of freight trains... And then sort of, like, position my arms like rails so the freight trains can go up and over the passenger trains that are going, that are in stations. And I'll also – it'll be for lobbying. I'll go to Washington with the exosuit, and I'll be like, hey, congressman, check out this cool exosuit. I'm doing the robot. And they'll be like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's like, dude, let's go to Dave & Buster's. And they'll be like, solid. And so then the cold Congress will go with me to Dave & Buster's, right? And we're like playing skee-ball, and I'm getting like 600 points, right? Because it's like programmed in the exosuit. It's like downloaded into my brain. Like like I hunted down this executive of the skee-ball company, and I downloaded into my brain how to win a skee-ball. And they're like, dude, you're the coolest guy ever. And I'm like, dude, dude. Uh, you, you need to deal with the Passenger Rail Investment imp- and Improvement Act of 2008, all right? needs <laughs> to be
1: situated. <sighs> this, this is all great, and I'm, I'm really glad that you have taken this exoskeleton-centric approach to a really pressing a policy problem around transportation. Yes. But, I mean, we have all these at-grade crossings, right, that would need to be um, – you know, we need to have to address that issue. We have also the problem where uh, securing real estate rights to right-of-ways to build more rail capacity mm-hmm. is a very difficult thing to do. How does your exoskeleton-based solution address these pressing issues?
2: Uh- everyone knows that all politics is local and all local politics is pancakes. So with an exosuit, I will be to make pancakes so fast it'll make your head spin but not spin so fast that it makes it impossible to eat delicious pancakes. So a series of political fundraisers, uh, community events, uh, fairs, church fairs even, uh, where I'll just be stacking them high. stacking. Them high. You know, this country was built on flapjacks. People will tell you this country was built on liberty, that it was built on freedom of religion, and that it was built built on the backs of chinese railroad laborers Rail is the future but it was built <laughs> on flapjacks a paul bunyan sized stack of syrupy buttery goodness built by robot arms
1: it's, um, it's you, dawn it's morning in america it, it is, is exoskeleton suited morning in america and
2: the exoskeleton it has a little alarm that plays higher by jackie wilson every time you want to wake up making sure you're in a great mood every day <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, all right. Mark Lee next to answer the exoskeleton injustice question.
1: Yeah, we all know that education is a really pressing problem in these United States of America. Um, public education is in crisis. R- yeah. Rarely is the question asked, is our children learning? Is our exoskeleton-suited children learning? (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, the test scores are down compared to other countries. Uh, You know, we have this crisis of confidence in public education. So here's my solution. I'm going to don the exoskeleton. I'm going to fight, on one hand, the, uh, the head of the... Evil, powerful corporate interests that are pushing uh, charter schools down our in, in pushing them into our communities and destroying our public schools. I'm just gonna punch that guy really hard, okay? And then I'm <laughs> gonna it's, turn. It's and,
0: one guy. That's yeah, a yeah, yeah, really yeah, it's one guy. It's one guy. Okay, 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 <laughs> okay. Here we go.
1: And then I'm gonna after I punch that guy, then I'm going to punch the uh, the evil head of the teachers unions who is protecting. Uh, corrupt and incompetent teachers' interests at the expense of our children. I'm going to punch that person really hard. Wow,
0: we are crossing okay. sections off the map.
1: Oh, uh, that was see that that was Wait, a very bipartisan is this, is this approach. <laughs> this is a very you know. Yeah, uh, it's yeah you're, alienating, you're alienating. You're alienating.
2: Is, is is this like a season of 24 where three epi- every three episodes, you find a different big bad who's like in charge of the education system?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, so that happens, right? I, yeah. after, after I punch the various big bads right then i will use uh some software that i stole from someone to reboot the entire education system <laughs> and then i'm gonna send robots to teach in the classrooms and they're gonna be awesome <laughs> robot, problem solve.
0: robot teach for america
2: <laughs> well welcome back rx 3000 right it's like welcome back your dreams or your ticket out I don't know whether that was too the wrong key or just not robot enough or perhaps too robot. <laughs> uh, but leave your notes in the comments
1: as to like how to improve
2: our mi- mix of uh, welcome back RX three thousand. <laughs>
1: I think you're getting a preview of, uh, of our thoughts on how Elysium treats the very difficult uh, problems that are, that are resulting in the income inequality uh, situation that you see in this movie. I don't think we have a very high opinion of it, too.
2: I, I will tell you, I feel like the substitute for is going to be awesome after you institute <laughs> Like, all the teachers are robots, and one of the kids is a drug dealer, and Tom Beringer has come back to exact jump kick vengeance wearing an X <laughs> suit. Uh, that are like, are dangerous moments minds like the the tv show the movie too where annie potts and michelle pfeiffer are one cyborg that has to like fight ignorance and uh and give tough love to kids from the streets
0: i like i like exact jump kick vengeance i like to think (laughs) that that pretty much every abstract noun could have jump kick inserted in front of it and it would become immeasurably more awesome right a a
2: palpable jump kick hit (laughs) <laughs> right. Oh, you that, mean-
0: I, no, like I'm I, I'm out for I'm out for jump kick justice.
2: <laughs> I'm under Jump Kick Siege. I mean, you're basically taking Steven Seagal movies and turning them into Jean-Claude Van Damme or Jason Statham movies. This is a right, Jason like,
0: Statham solution to a yeah. Steven Seagal problem.
2: I really feel like the Jump Kick torch has been passed. Uh, I really, I think Jason Statham is the current Jump Kick torch holder.
0: I mean, there is, uh, there is a Jump Kick equilibrium which is related to the Spike equilibrium, right?
2: Uh, oh, well, not every Jump Kick <laughs> is an equilibrium because when you're in free fall, you're not subject to the force of gravity, right? Because that's how they stay up so long? Isn't that how it
0: works? <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. <real>?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Craziness.
0: Oh, man. All right. Well, setting, like, setting aside the, the question of the, the Nash jump-kick equilibrium uh, for a second, I, I want to address um, the problem of income inequality in honor of Elysium, where <laughs> all the wealth is, for some reason, concentrated in uh, a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> High above Earth, Um, uh, which you can see floating like a reminder of... Uh, I don't know, like a reminder of. I've always thought that it's, you know, it would be it would be an interesting social experiment to turn all the seats in an airplane backwards, because as it is, uh, they they enforce a certain kind of status consci- consciousness and social hierarchy. That is to say, you in economy, right? Um, you are aware of business and first in front of you and that you're not in there and that they have, you know, private bathrooms and, like, uh, you know, freshly warmed chocolate chip cookies being brought out on China plates and whatnot. Uh, but because... Um, you know economy is behind you if you're sitting in in business or in first you're not aware of the classes behind you and i, I always wondered what would happen whenever i get on an airplane I, I always wondered what would happen if we turned the seats around on this right on this airplane so that uh you know so that the people in uh so that the people in in the higher classes of service had to have the the you know i don't know the the conditions of the less fortunate uh in front of them all the time and weren't able to sort of deny uh and forget uh,
1: <laughs> they don't have to see the unwashed masses of masses of coach in front of them <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> right you'd have to see me like tossing and turning trying to find a way to like you know sleep on the headrest uh in uh In the the skinny, narrow coach seats with my legs up to my chest. Um, No, I want to tackle income inequality. And because uh, just just in honor of some of the the weird non-logic in Elysium, um, I'm not going to uh, do this by, you know, any sort of uh, world building, right? Like anything that addresses a, you know, uh, complex uh, interaction of social phenomena and history and... um, um, you know very complicated things like financial markets and the workings of of corporations and and of government and failures of regulation and uh, you know and of oversight and of you know what, dereliction of duty by the credit ratings agencies I'm not going to do any of that I'm going to assume that all wealth is liquid and so I'm going to just like uh, use the exoskeleton to break into banks into you know bank vaults and shower, you, then like throw gold coins Scrooge McDuck style out rain, I'm going to make it rain uh, you know, like Krugerands on um, on, uh, you know on an unsuspecting see what,
2: see, world What you need, Matt, is that one, your like left fist needs to have a red lightning laser, and your right fist needs to have a green lightning laser <laughs> and you point one fist at a computer at the bank, and you point the other fist at, like a poor homeless guy in the street, and Use the lightning to transfer the money if it's in the electronic accounts from the computer into the person, right? Like, and you could use iPhone. I was gonna say you could do it to the person's iPhone, but then that starts to actually compound the problem that we're talking about of the concentration of income. But, um, that's uh, but yeah, no, totally. If someone get hits, gets hit by a wealth beam, like it totally changes their life forever. Definitely,
1: uh, this, this is all fine and good, but can we go back to the problem with the airplane seats and how the exoskeleton could help with that?
0: Uh, well, yeah, sure, I mean, really, because I'd. I'd I'd have like a multi-tool. I'd have like multiple leather mans or leather, <laughs> leather men, if you yeah. will. Uh, leather one, people. Yeah, leather persons. One, each finger would be a leather person. And so I would be able to uh, have like a socket set attached uh, to my finger and unbolt, un, you know, unrivet or unbolt the seats and spin them around and rebolt them in. Uh, Really without, you know, any of the kind of repetitive stress injury associated with the, you know, the turning the, you know, the turning motion of like using a screwdriver or any of the like the high impact tools like a rivet gun, uh, things like this, things that can really shred the the, uh, tendons and nerves in your arm.
1: Thank God for this exoskeleton. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, just for the record, I'm, I'm looking at the Smithsonian Air and Space Magazine right now from October 26, 2009. And it really goes into detail about how aft-facing airline seats have been demonstrated through numerous studies to be far safer than forward-facing airline <laughs> seats. And are, in fact, used in the military where, of course, choice of seat is not so much of uh, an issue. Because uh, right? passengers don't want seats that face backward, even if it's better for them. Which is really what Elysium is all about, right? Right, which is, we know what's best for people because <laughs> we have the exosuit suit and we can fix
0: things. Well, this okay. So let me. Uh, can I start? I don't even know. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start, and we'll start in just a second. But I'm. I, I want to to plug a couple things before we go. Mm-hmm. Um, as as we record this, uh, Breaking Bad is making its return to the yeah. air for the final eight uh, episodes of what I guess is like season five and a half or something, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm catching up uh, in time for doing this uh, in time, so that I can at least experience experience the end because I've been promised uh, just incredible things. Like I think there was a, an interview I saw on the Internet today with the cinematographer who shoots Breaking Bad or who is responsible for the look of, of mm. that show. And um, so I, I, I like started binge watching Breaking Bad. Uh, this summer, in preparation for this, because I wanted to, you know, participate in what overthinking it is doing, and I'll, I'll hop on once I'm caught up. Um, let me say the look of Breaking Bad, it, even from the part that I've seen, is amazing. Um, yeah, I, you know, I have a lot to say about it, and this isn't the venue, but you know what is the venue? Uh, we're going to start doing some recaps, and uh, Pete is going to host them for the first couple. Um, you know, until until I'm I am up. the
2: one who hosts the recap.
0: <laughs> and actually, you know what? How uh, about Pete continues hosting them even once I join, <laughs> so that I so that I don't have to be responsible for Stay every damn thing around My
2: here. recap territory. I'm <laughs> gonna keep uh, quoting Breaking Bad lines that Matt hasn't heard yet. So, how far are you, by the way? Where are you in the story?
0: Uh, Mid season two.
2: Oh wow. Oh boy.
0: So I'm I'm like binge watching pretty hard. I like all summer I intended to uh to hop on the breaking bad train. I, I hear that yep. train is yep. a word that has some significances in, in the breaking bad universe. Um yep. the uh not,
2: the it's Congress has anything to say about
0: <laughs> <laughs> And uh and I just I just didn't um Uh, I didn't. And then in my in my day job life as a computer programmer, someone had the temerity to to uh, not temerity. That's not the word. Someone had the the uh, bald faced audacity to offer me a job. And so I've actually been working (laughs) a (laughs) lot, uh, unlike any of the previous summer's. In my life, so uh, I haven't been able to, you know, sit around in my underwear and watch Netflix for, for eight hours a day, which is really like a prerequisite for running overthinking it. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen to us, but I know that tomorrow, Pete, you're going to record a recap of uh, season five point five, episode one.
2: That is correct. <laughs> Recaps. I, I'm, I, can I say bitch or is that too? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I, I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see if if uh, they stick an explicit tag on this episode for that.
2: Yep. The only um, condition is that I need my raisin brain crunch. It says crunch right on the box. See, I'm making all these jokes. You're just not going to get, man, because you haven't gotten to the promised land. yet. <laughs> you'll you'll get it. You'll get it.
0: I you when well, I can't I can't wait. So if you are if you are uh, like a lot of people and you watched uh, Breaking Bad last night i um, presuming you're listening to this podcast on the first day it's available. Uh, hey, you can, you can hop on. Uh, and um, so there, there are a number of ways you can do this. We're going to record it as a, as a Google hangout. And then we're also going to make it available as an audio uh, download and we'll have a podcast going. It takes a couple days to set up the podcast feed through Apple, but we'll, we'll have an overthinking it recaps podcast uh, feed as well. Um, and you can, you can watch it live uh, also, because that's something you can do with Google Hangouts on air. So Breaking Bad uh, recaps, eight of them, uh, coming to you Monday evenings. Um, they're, uh, they're starting now. Uh, so enjoy that. And uh, that's what we're doing. Okay, on to Elysium.
2: So now, I, that we've disp- now that we've dispatched with the f- with trivial trivial entertainments, let's move on to the heady subject at hand. Uh, <laughs> so, go ahead, Matt. You were yeah. about to say something incredibly insightful about exactly. this well, fr- insightful movie.
0: from the sublime to the ridiculous. Can I? I mean, th- this is a vision not just of like future technology, and in fact, I'm I'm sort of surprised how uninterested. The film is in the actual future technology, right? Like the technology is just a uh, is is kind of a strawman. The, the the thing that Elysium is interested in is future economy, right? Future.
1: Well, it, it, at the beginning, it seems like it's going to be interested in, and then it just turns out that it's interested in exoskeleton based punching. <laughs> continue. Well, I,
2: I don't know. I mean, that's there's a lot of movies that devolve into similar subjects, into similar sort of displays that still maintain a rigorous focus on the matter at hand, right? Like, where where, like, Indiana Jones is still about, like, faith and fatherhood, even when it's about, like, rolling under, like... Trap doors and whatnot, right? Sure. But um but yeah 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 no no, no. I, I hear continue continue continue
0: yeah sure I mean right absolutely like the the D D episode of community is still about you know uh selfishness and and altruism even when it's about uh Ken Jong you know in blackface um so I, I want to take as a as a uh text to compare this to another uh another Future vision of the future uh, that you know presents a, a vision of a future economy and totally punts on you know any of the sort of human aspects of what this what this means or any of the tough questions that you might
1: ask of it and
0: that is Star Trek um, <laughs> right because in, I thought you were going to
1: say Total Recall but <laughs> continue we'll come back to Total Recall in a moment
0: in Star Trek uh, they've eliminated scarcity right. Oh, and by the way, spoilers throughout for for Elysium. Not that not that you care. Oh, uh, yes,
2: Matt Damon is dreamy in this movie, and you should see this movie for that reason. Uh, that's I the only spoiler that I think is going to ruin the movie.
0: Find me. out why the hippo did it. But, yeah.
2: Oh man, the hippo. We got to talk about the hippo later too. Yeah, right? But we're we got to keep up with the topics we're already topicing before we shelve topics for future future topicing. So
0: Star-, Star Trek eliminates scarcity uh, through dilithium crystals. Right. Like uh, you have an unlimited source of energy. So everyone is happy and no one is ever upset about anything, really. An
1: unlimited source of clean energy. So there are no associated costs. Until
0: until season eight or nine. And you realize we're we're polluting the universe by using warp drive. Right. That that uh, that happened. That's a thing.
2: I mean, also, the, you know, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, Elysium does have a, a number of striking similarities to the plot of Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, but we, we don't have to get into that at the moment. Because it's about, like, the limited availability of the compounds necessary for their advanced medical technology, in particular. And, like, a small group of people who live in a utopian community because they have access to the medical technology or the medical resources that nobody else has access to. Well,
0: okay, so this is the thing that I, that I wanted to bring up, right? At the end, they just send all the robots down to to earth and they fix everybody and there's no sense that like there's no sense that we're out of energy right like there's yeah, yeah. no <laughs> there's no scarcity presented yeah. in this and honestly they're just
2: jerks they're just
0: just <laughs> I don't know. And not even for a reason just just no. for the sake of being jerks or just because yeah. that's that's the way it's always been you know or or something like there's yeah. no for
2: the habitat for the horde exactly so Habitats for the habitat throne or whatever i don 't even know
0: <laughs> there's also there 's no sense though there 's trash everywhere like yep. you don 't see anybody generate a whole lot of waste like the, these people live subsistence lives right they're they're you know i don 't know they're they 're not like uh conspicu-
2: subsistence is there ever a sense that matt damon doesn't have enough to eat like they seem to have enough food and like he even have like entertainments and stuff right like don't they watch do you watch she tells the girl to watch cartoons right so like they have like entertainment they have food they have like places to stay even though they should not put a freestanding house on top of a skyscraper because <laughs> the wind is just gonna blow it off <laughs> but i don't know uh, i mean it's basically a lot of the ins- i'm I don't, sorry to interrupt but you know, a lot of the the sort of abject no, no you're property, not I was, Like yeah that's true. I'm a liar, but it's like a lot of the abject poverty ofem it's like this is just Brazil, this is just like present day sao Paulo <laughs> like and it's like it's bad for some people yes, but it's is this really the hellscape that we're being told it is right like anyway, anyway, continue
0: well right, yeah, so it's it's uh but my point is is there's not, like, a ton of conspicuous consumption going on on Earth, right? So where do the piles of junk come from, you know? it's uh, Right? It's not like they're, they're opening, you know, a ton of iPods and, like, throwing out the cardboard boxes onto the street. And yet there are piles of, of cardboard boxes on the street. Like, are they shuttling all the junk from Elysium down to Earth? Doesn't it make sense just to kind of shoot it farther out into space, you know? There's no talk about, like, hey, we're out of fuel these spaceships you know uh there uh, there is some talk about like the the air is polluted but that that actually seems more class-based because um uh, uh i'm i'm trying to think of the the christopher mulready from the west wing uh, i can't think of the actor's name who plays the evil the evil corporate guy but he um you know don't breathe on me right and it's like yeah. buddy he he doesn't have anything that's gonna that's gonna breathe onto you. You're breathing the air already, right? Like, yeah.
2: Plus, you have access to unlimited, amazing medical technology. So, like, why are you worried about
0: getting sick? Just, just for being a jerk. He's just... Yeah. yeah. Just
1: being a jerk. Anyway, so, uh... So let me just understand, Matt. What your issue is with what you've just described? Why right?
0: not is share? It... There's no <laughs> constraint. There's no reason you can't share. It's yeah. you're not going to run out of fuel. You you have enough. You have whole spaceships full of medical pods and a bunch of like efficient white robots going around with like computer medical charts. And like at the end of the movie, you can just send them down. Why not send them down before? In fact, like why not? I I'd even believe it more if there were, like, a lottery where...
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah.
0: Right, 20, Elysium, 20 Earthlings could be chosen as, at random. That would, you know, that's a like a Hunger Games solution to... Uh, to a Star Trek <laughs> problem, right? Like yeah. <laughs> where uh, you know, I don't know where you could get, keep people working with the idea that that there's this that there's this thing. I also i i i have a i have a suspicion. I know why this is right. Like i i i think this is a director, and this is the du- director who made District Nine as well. I think that this is a person who is interested in um, depicting uh, abjection and sort of depicting. Uh, squalor and depicting destitution Um, because that's like visually and, and in terms of how much time the movie spends on, on different things, that's where this movie's heart is, is in like piles of junk is in the, you know, the favelas of Los Angeles.
1: Sure. Let me me jump in and say the other thing that this filmmaker is probably trying to accomplish is uh, you know, it's telling an allegorical tale about income inequality here, right? If you're saying like you know that there's no scarcity in the world of *Elysium*, that they're just being jerks and hoarding the medicine and all the good stuff, right? I think I mean, it's probably not Robot of a limb to say, yeah, that Neil Blomkamp, right, the writer and director of this, would probably say the same thing about our current economy, right? That there's not, there's sort of an illusion of scarcity, right, and that capitalism is people being jerks and hoarding the good stuff. For themselves, right now, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with that, but I'm just to play devil's advocate for a moment. Like I think I've heard somewhere that there's, like for example, there's enough food in the world to feed everyone like several times over, right? And that um, you know the, the the problem of hunger of the large numbers of people being hungry uh, in this uh, in this world is not so much that we don't have enough food; it's because we um, you know are greedy with it. Right? That's a very gross simplification, but I think that's some of the thinking uh, that is that what I would say would be behind. Uh, Neil Blomkamp and what he's trying to say about, at what he's trying to say about our world. Now, whether that's correct or whether you agree with that, it's a completely different thing, or whether that makes for a compelling story in a movie is also a very different thing, but I just wanted to put, present that there.
2: I mean, one of the interesting parts of the, seeing that, I mean, there's two, there's a series of interesting sub-dynamics to that uh, allegory that you're talking about that immediately spring to mind for me. The first is the is the phenomenon of medical tourism, where, you know, it, it's often, I mean, especially because of the the skin colors that this movie chooses to put on all the characters, where Matt Damon is, like, the only white guy still left on Earth, right? Like, Or the only, like, sort of waspy white guy, or whatever it is he's supposed to be in this movie, uh, still left on Earth, and all of the other ones are in the spaceship. You know, there's, like, a lot of people in the quote-unquote first world, especially in the United States, who travel to the quote-unquote third world, like, developing nations, emerging economies, because they can afford to get the healthcare there that they can't get here, right? Because they need to get surgeries, right? Or they need to get various sorts of procedures that are much, much more expensive. And yes, there's also, the issue of people from developing countries traveling to developed economies to get like really expensive heart surgeries and stuff like that from like the very best. But I mean, one of the things about Elysium is that money still appears to exist and still appears to have value to everyone, even the people in Elysium, right? Like they appear to want money or have something to do with money, right? I guess because people get paid to go up there or something. You can buy the IDs for fakus I don't know. There's no. Maybe you got the sense that Elysium had no money, but I didn't get that sense. Um, but it's like there, there, you would think that there would be a flow of goods and services in both directions, not just in the one direction. Um, and, then, and then the other thing that immediately springs to mind, other than like the medical tourism. Um, is, oh gosh, I had it just at the top of my head and I just, I just went off on a rant. So somebody jump in with something while I, I scrambled to try to figure out what my other point was. Um,
1: was it about the food The food distribution? Uh,
2: yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what it was. It was that whoever is responsible for the fact that the goods that are in Elysium can't go to everybody is not in this movie, (laughs) right? Like, it's like, we don't know who runs Los Angeles, right? Like, is is the president of Elysium the president of everybody? Is, like, Patel the president of everybody? And, And we're led to believe that the presidency is controlled by an algorithm, right? Like, the presidency is controlled by the computer system, and you can choose who is president by going to the computer. I mean, was Patel elected, and they had to put the votes into the computer, and then the computer, like, gave him the codes automatically to run Elysium? Is he, like... president forever is he a dictator is he have any political power on earth like it's not the people in if you have a donor area and you have like a recipient area and you're trying to ship aid in, like the people, the intermediaries you're going to run into that are going to give you problems are often on the ground in the recipient area as well as in the donor area, right? It's like because the aid comes in and then it's like, well, how do we distribute this? There's, a, there's an elite class. The thing is, there should also be an elite class on earth. That's really what it co- boils down to is that like when you're talking about the difference between the developing world and the developed world and you're talking about the rich and the poor, they're not separated so starkly by geography. not and, and this is much more, I mean, this is obvious now, but was not even the case like a little while ago before the emergence of the developing nations as real powerhouses, is that like, there are rich people in Thailand, people, you know, like, like you know, it's, it's not like, oh, everyone in America is, is doing great, and everybody in China is doing badly. There's lots of rich people in China, right? And it's like, if you're trying to send the medical droids to Los Angeles, and there's no medical droids in Los Angeles for some reason, which really shouldn't be the case, because there's money, so, people should be able to use money to get medical services. They should pool resources. Like, a community gets together and gets one medical droid for the girl with leukemia, right? Like, that kind of thing would happen. Um, there must be somebody on the ground in Los Angeles who's preventing this from happening, right? Or has some sort of relationship with Elysium or something, right? Like, there's who is, is, is that whole city of like, what hundreds of millions of people ever were supposed to believe is that really supposed to function with no organization at all, except for the robots. Uh, and even then the ro- the robots just set on automatic, like they just left them there and they took out the keys and nobody's running the place. So, I mean, that's the other thing is that like he's in, in his depiction of squalor, the writer-director is also kind of referencing, I suspect, a perspective on, well, when you're in the squalor, when you are, are uh, of, a, of the party where you feel like the system is rigged against you, uh, you can't see the people who are rigging the system against you. Therefore, you don't really care about why it's happening to you. You care about the reality of your situation. And so it takes these people – uh, who on both sort of donor-recipient sides are developing and developed, old world, new world, everything in between. And it makes them into these robots who have no agency, no identity, no no names, no voice, right? It's as if they don't exist, even though they, much more than, like, the random unemployed mercenary, are, like, the villains of this movie, right? Yeah. Okay, so that was my second point, point. I did remember it, so yay! <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, that, I mean, that, like... I wanted to know, and it, you know, it's so funny. Like we had this talk about uh, we had this talk like two weeks ago on overthinking it in a think tank about world building, right? And like failures failures of of consistency in world building, or failures of of logic. And I was the guy who who stood up for for the ineffable, right? For for qualities of like mystery or of. Uh, you know i don't know sort of strangeness in in art as opposed to a kind of syllogistic logic uh, as though that were the thing that were uh, uh, valuable right in in art and you know the internet was was predictably hostile to you know any anything that values the ineffable above you know all, everything is logical positive <laughs> positive isn't right, right. i was going to
1: say uh, above above the effable yeah,
0: <laughs> well, in a different sense of the word yeah the, the, the internet is all about the effable but um
2: <laughs> but, but or at least you think that they're effable and you you tell them as such through private messages that are very skeevy <laughs> and inappropriate but anyway
0: absolutely I, so, I shouldn't
2: have said that, that was
0: inappropriate <laughs> <just>. <laughs> um yeah wink uh but i uh you know, I don't know, but I but like for this like okay, I'm like great mysteries of art guy, right? Like but like I wanted to know a little bit of the logic of like how this how this society operated. Like I you know, and and to me it was kind of like it was a failure of the critique. I mean, it was a failure uh it 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 no i don't want to i don't want to say that cuz i think this guy may yeah. have been getting at something but it it was to me a huge missed opportunity let me put yeah. it that way yeah, yeah. it was a huge missed opportunity how does how does this world work i understand that you know you know 10 billion people on earth are crushed under the heel of a you know of a you know tiny ruling class who enjoy uh all kinds of of wonderful things and great quality of life and uh you know aristocratic uh Everything up in the up in the clouds. But like uh, how 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 in fact are they governed? And actually, let's see. The movie is not called Life Sucks on Earth. (laughs) <laughs> right the movie is called elysium and what's what's missing from this e- elysium like any sense
1: elysians, elysians. Like, the actual citizens hey they're
2: having a pretty boss garden party in that like one five second shot where you get to see some of them hanging out they have wine glasses and everything yes yes they all they're all davos people is really what they are that's um, right yeah
0: yeah exactly well that's i mean yeah. and i wonder like i wonder you see, I wonder if this movie doesn't actually kind of recapitulate some of the uh, uh, some of the divisions it purports to be uh, it purports to be protesting, right? Like because the what the classy speak people speak French and English, and the classy people are bilingual that way, and the the uh, the peons are are bilingual Spanish English, right? Like yeah. that's. Uh, It's a little troubling. I don't know. But are there, uh, you know, are there Elysians growing up in Elysium who who question this social order? I mean, like what what about like, you know, there are always abolitionists, right? Like there are there are always sort of privileged white people who want to abolish slavery, right? Like uh, uh, taking an example from the 19th century in America, right? Like there's uh, you know, there's always some like do gooding. Uh, person with privilege, like where where's that? Where are the tensions within uh, within this society? I mean, we get the sense between you know between Patel and and please, like come on, right? Like uh, I, I just I want to shout out to that uh, to that actor whose name I just Imdb'd. Uh, I know him from Warehouse 13, which I watch, but uh, his name is, is Faran Tahir, and um, he uh, plays President Patel. Um, I'm, I'm sure his first name is Sanjay, right? Uh, just, just because like that's, those are apparently the only names we know. Uh, the, um, like there's a schism between him and Jody Foster. Are there other, I mean, are there other divisions between, um, uh, between uh, Elysium Are there factions Of the Elysians Aligned with Factions on Earth Right Like are there Are there sort of Different kinds of Cleavages within These Uh uh, uh, within these societies, and and yeah. by the way, like another thing, and you know, I don't know, this may be good or bad, but this for for a summer movie for for a certain for a summer movie, one one of the functions of a summer movie perhaps is is to show us things that are pleasurable to look at. Um, a, a lot of the time, this translates in summer movies to like some sense of eros, right? Some sense of of romance or of you know, I you. Uh, 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 you know t n a right and completely missing from from Elysium uh, from the from the I, film. I think
2: that's worth commenting on briefly because it's something that a, a lot of our readers raised around Pacific Rim, um, which was, and I think that you you and I, I mean, I know I felt a certain way about this, where it's like, oh, but there's a love story in every movie. Like, does there have to be a love story in this movie too? And, and I know that I've had movies I've liked in the past that haven't had love stories because it felt fresh. Uh, One Tough Bastard starring Brian Bosworth comes to mind, where, like, they don't bother really having a love plot because it could would have kind of slowed down the story. But it's like, there is a certain gap in the human exist in the human experience in Elysium that I think is also present in Pacific Rim because people don't seem to have that drive at all it's not just that they're not spending their time at this given moment it's like why isn't that person making out right now they should always be making out when I'm watching them well no but it should be part of their world because it's like there's somebody in the world at some point right like and I just like
0: I just like to hold up you know as an example uh, uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise, where like you know, sure it's it's extraordinarily homoerotic, despite the presence of women, and it's about men and cars and men grasping sticks to in their hands to shift gears, right? Like it's it's phallus in Projecting Wonderland.
2: Anxious. All sorts of other sorts of yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, there there are these these you know races, and there are like uh you know there are scantily clad young people dancing together right at all of you know at all of these races and there is a sense that that this is a world that includes this huge part of of uh human of human experience yeah and and uh you know and so i think there there's got to be a line between the sort of the crassness of uh star trek into darkness you know stripping down into your underwear just because and uh (laughs) And the kind of complete and utter lack of any sense of the erotic at all in um, in Elysium or well, Pacific Rim. There, there's, the,
2: there's, the, yeah, there's the one shot – I mean there are shots in Elysium and in Pacific Rim where they show you the abs of the main dude. And I thought the ab makeup on Matt Damon in this movie was very poorly executed. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I was sitting in the third row, so maybe that was why. Not because I wanted to see the ab makeup, but because so I showed up to the theater late. Because the, 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 the Boston has a crazy shuttle situation on the red line for like the next – next year. So anybody in Boston knows what I'm talking about. Um, so leave extra time for those movies people. Ender's game ain't going to watch itself. Uh, but uh, but yeah like they'll they'll make they'll be like here's the here's the cheesecake moment with the with the lead person where you get to look at them but it's not part of their ex- the experience of the character. The character's just getting dressed. Right? Like it's not like hey, I'm so sexy, you have to put on my shirt. You know, it's like um, I don't I just I don't want to say like it's not in the movie at all, but it's not in the sort of mise-en I guess is that mise-en Scene? no like. Is there a word for the world of the movie as 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 if it existed in a way that was being photographed? Like you know, like you
0: mean the, like, you um, mean like the diegetic more within the diegesis of the of the film? Or yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. Like within within the the diegesis of the world of Elysium, at, you know, beyond what we're seeing through the eye of the camera. Yeah, yeah, no yeah sure. Like within
0: out. Yeah, within the <laughs> diegetic within the diegetic world. Well, within like your own world, don't you feel like least sexy when you wake up in the morning and you have morning breath and you're. Like a little hungover from the night before, and like you know, you're what I feeling mean?
1: like, and you're feeling like P. Diddy? Yeah, I know the feeling. You got to <laughs> huh. Okay, so let me try to. You're, you're feeling like you have to go pee
0: Diddy.
2: Yeah. I'm going to brush my teeth with a bottle of robots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let, let me try to encapsulate uh, the different feelings, the very strong feelings we have about this movie and, and the issues we are having with it. It sounds like um, both the real life issues we have around income inequality and social injustice, and the in story. Depiction of social inequality and injustice are not um well, are not done justice right. They sort of aren't given the treatment that we feel like they deserve, especially with the uh, kind of laughably uh, you know punch-tactic and, uh, and Independence Day-esque uh, solutions to these problems right
2: uh, independence uh, day had a pretty complex multi-phase solution to the alien <laughs> problem you see you have to get let me get this whiteboard out for you you see the
1: mothership <laughs> so, signal. I, I brought total recall for a moment and i and i, I want to do this just so i can get this line and also to spark an additional discussion uh, is that i felt like this movie presented a total recall solution to a uh, precious based in the novel pushed by sapphire problem <laughs> does that make any sense no yeah, but, really- but it's about to right <laughs> Right. Okay. So, for those who don't remember, actually, I haven't seen *Precious*, based on a novel pushed by Sapphire. But um, as far as I know, it is about the struggles of a, a very poor uh, African American young woman in the city. Right. And so she is like the product of all the very social ills and you know economic injustice in our in our world. Right. Um, and then *Total Recall* is a movie where um, there is this poor underclass who's being uh, oppressed and being denied air. Right. Remember, give these people air. Um, And the solution to that is just, you know, Arnold hits the button (laughs) in the alien thing and then gives people air. Um, But also remember that the act of giving people air is potentially part of just a hallucinated fantasy dream of being a spy. So we're not really meant to take that type of easy solution to a difficult problem seriously except in a movie like Elysium where you are supposed to take it seriously
2: well the thing is that this is a fantasy like it's a power fantasy for people who are concerned with social justice because they want to feel empowered to solve the problem right both because they want to be good and they want to be the hero who solves the problem and because the problem gives them pain and so Total Recall the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one has that ever extra level of self awareness and sophistication where it's like this isn't really how problems work <laughs> but this is how we want to dream that problems work yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in Elysium, that's not the case. There's no dream. It, this is everything is gritty reality. Everything is dusty and sandy and real. And yet, it still operates by this sort of fantasy rule where an evil South American merc South African mercenary is going to be like the big bad that you have to fight at the end. Um, although another thing that I also want, I also want, and yeah, you brought up another movie in my mind. I wanted to compare this to in a no, second.
1: No, no, go ahead. continue.
2: Okay, so I compare this to movie Highlander. Right, because in the the movie Highlander isn't about social injustice. The movie, the movie Highlander is about like history, right? It's about like sort of uh, you know being an adult and kind of knowing about the existence of future generations and having difficulty comprehending passage of time and death and like what love means when everything is going to be lost. And then it just becomes a sword fight, right? So if it were sort of like we're saying that Elysium kind of devolves, and I mark, I think you're really hitting something on the head when you're saying that Elysium devolves into just sort of fighting, but. But the it's thing,
1: not a particularly well-executed fight either. Yeah, oh, But, so but yes. even that,
2: it's that like the, the people who are involved in the fight, the reason why we – I think one of the reasons we crave further explanation of what's happening is that the people who are involved in the fight in Elysium, even though the, sh- the thing is an allegory, they, the fighters themselves don't allegorically represent any part of the conflict. Right? It's like if, if it's an allegory Then it should be a fight between like the poor And the rich right or between sort of like The earthling and the Elysium yes, person exactly. Right but it's not it's a fight between Sort of a random dude and another random Dude yeah. both of whom are kind of in an unfortunate Situation now what they end up representing and This is what the hippo is all about is that they Sort of the, the idea is like they represent the Military right this is sort of like an Egypt Situation where like there's a military deep State that gets to decide who gets to be on Elysium and who doesn't and like various Parties are trying to convince the military to be be on their side. I feel like that's part of the story that Elysium ends up telling, because it puts the fighters in the center of the conflict. But with the, the reason I brought up Highlander is it's like, you've got like the Scottish guy who's adjusted and become the 80s guy, versus the Kurgan who hasn't changed at all, and has remained the Kurgan for the most part. right? And, and, and when they fight, they represent their two visions of the past. So the fight is motivated, the fight continues to tell the story of the movie, and it doesn't feel like the movie is devolving, it feels like the movie is kind of culminating. And so, yeah, so that's, I think that's the issue with Elysium is that who are these guys and where in the allegory do they fit? Uh, Actually, you know what? what Actually, just
0: hearing hearing that, you know, it makes me think about um, a film, and this is going to come way out of left field, but it it makes me think about Do the Right Thing, right? Ooh. Because in, in Do the Right Thing, all the characters represent kind of facets of the social commentary, right? Represent facets of the, the, Uh, the allegory that's that's kind of being unfolded about black capitalism and about access to... Uh, you know what I mean about about sort of a racist shutting out of people from from economic opportunity on, on the basis of on the basis of race, and that um, you know the, it's it's yeah say what you will about about uh, do the right thing like it's um, really successful. I, mean, I will
2: say anything. I love do the right thing. Yeah, the yeah. Right it's a, it's
0: a d- extremely dynamic and like energetic and super compelling. Um, yeah. Super compelling movie. I, I think maybe I think maybe the message and do the right thing of like well, capital you know access to access to capitalism is the answer, right? Like I, I think maybe that might do. Well, it I don't know if do the right like, thing
2: is, is, is quite so. So for people who haven't seen Do the Right Thing, I would I would boil it way down by saying that it, it resolves around what a pizza shop, right? Yeah. Like a pizza shop that's owned by an, uh, an Italian family that's owned it for a few generations in Bed Stuy. And- In Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and then the community of African Americans in Bed-Stuy, who've kind of grown up around this pizza shop, and um, you know, this pizza shop is sort of from a bygone era. The people from the Italians don't live in the neighborhood anymore, and it's about how all these people are kind of shut out of what the pizza shop represents, and it culminates in the destruction of the pizza shop.
0: Sure right and like, the, uh, right, and the, the idea is like it, it shut out of the the economic opportunity and also shut out in some sense from having their culture uh, acknowledged or celebrated because like there's, there's a great point made that like all the pictures on the wall of the, the pizza shop are like the famous Italian entertainers are you know i don 't know Frankie Valley or you know uh, and on and on and on and on, and on. Um, that uh, uh, you know where are where are we're where the customers I mean we're the community we're the the people supporting. This business, like where, where's our? What? Why doesn't the world look like? Um, why? Why don't the walls look like the world that I that I see around me? And actually, let me, let me say something for for Elysium. Um, it looks more like. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, and like Elysium looks more like the world I see around me. Uh, than any other movie that I've seen, right? Like even, it,
2: even entourage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we've been spared thus far. We've been spared an entourage film. Uh, I, I have read on the internet that, that, that may not always be the case that mercy not, may not, not even Max <laughs> can imagine a dystopian future that bleak. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I uh, right like the 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 fact that that like, you know what, Spanish is spoken like by a lot of people a lot of the time and actually, you know, uh, as a white guy getting by in Los Angeles you would do well to learn um you would do well to learn at least you know day-to-day Spanish to be able to um to be able to get by like uh, you know you're going to look at a lot of screens and a lot of rooms and a lot of uh, uh a lot of stuff and, and uh you know and see an ethnic makeup that's a lot more like the the actors uh in Elysium and i i appreciated that because it's you know it's yeah. not just it's not just that uh actors of color are underemployed in Hollywood blockbusters, it's that, like, the world I see on screen sometimes, especially, you know, especially in movies where, like, the social message is at the fore, it, you know, it would be nice if the world I see on screen resembled in some respect uh, the world I see around me, as, you know, as I live my day-to-day life, and, and here, uh, here in Elysium, sort of, uh, that was true, I think, for the first time.
1: Does your yeah. vision of Los Angeles also include a nun who is telling you about the great future you have and your destiny to do great things? Let's talk, uh, let's talk about nuns. <laughs> yes, please. Let's do <laughs> Uh
0: So, Pete, you um, you tweeted or Facebooked something, something very interesting before uh, <laughs> er- earlier today. I think it was, today. this was my
2: email to the podcast. Oh, right, right, right. right. Sorry, like, you, you sent
0: the, it around the, to the <laughs> list.
2: In the dystopian future, nuns for some reason will start teaching Calvinist predestination, right? <laughs> Which is that like the the idea that a Catholic nun would te- would be like everyone has a destiny decided for them ahead of time, and it's just a matter of what, of living up to it. And you know, uh, I mean, that's not very Catholic. That's sort of like a, a doctrinal problem that I have with the. Uh, the, the ecumenicism of this movie. Um, uh, well, P- but yeah, through, but it's... Through, through faith,
0: you know, sola fides, right? Like, through faith in robots and faith in robots alone, is men say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is one of, this is like the big, I think it's a, a bigger, almost a bigger problem with Elysium than the fact that the central conflict in an allegorical movie, uh, the parties don't represent major forces in the allegory, right? Like, like a problem that's almost as big as this is that Elysium, I feel like, has been script doctored or somebody sort of advanced script doctored it. Uh, and we were reading that great David Lindelof piece in The Atlantic, right? Uh, we were all talking about that. There's a great piece where he talks about writing blockbuster movies and he says that like, once you get over $100 million, the stakes have to be saving the world, right uh, and, and it's like okay I guess you know um, and he talks about how what in, in what World War Z or whatever to Star Trek into darkness he had to like have the spaceship crash into San Francisco for some reason um, but but the main thing is that like in this movie he, he says he's he, and he also he has a destiny which we've talked about many times as like super annoying my favorite quote about that is when Matt Belinke was reviewing uh, Street Fighter the Legend of Chun-Li with Kristen Kroik <laughs> and he said like throughout the whole movie everyone is saying telling Chun-Li that she is the only person who can defeat Bison. There is no evidence of this. <laughs> right? Like it's like there's no reason why Chun-Li is the only person. Again, the only person able to achieve the jump kick equilibrium necessary to defeat M Bison and restore peace to the universe. Uh, but <laughs> and so but no but but not only that but like and so yeah it's it's oh you have a destiny and it's like i feel like they do this because they can't imbue the movies with an ideology that's more politically charged than that i suppose right like it's like they can't use an idea of good or evil that has any sophistication to it um or it's this idea that like well you see movies are about yeah calming your ex- briefly calming your existential threat, dread, and like convincing you that all of life has a purpose when it is a vast <laughs> purposeless void right? like and that's like and like all of Hollywood is so cynical that that 's the only thing that they believe, and therefore they pump this destiny garbage into every one of their movies right Where, and i don 't mean that all de- all thinking about you know like You know, Spinoza or anything like that is like garbage, just because it's about destiny or it's about like determinism. I mean that like there's always a freaking speech where it's like, "No, Goku, there's a prophecy that you have to get the Dragon Ball." No, there's not. There's no prophecy in Dragon Ball. What are you talking about? Um, But they put the freaking prophecy in there because they they want you to feel like your own personal issues it's really intrusive it's like we know that you're not comfortable enough in your sense of the meaningfulness of your life therefore we're gonna have this nun talk to matt damon about it that's gonna make you feel better right like i feel like i mean one of the and it raises the stakes it makes the hero more heroic it makes the hero's journey it makes you able to check that box on your joseph campbell screenwriting worksheet right where it's like (laughs) oh he's got a destiny he's going on a journey a young man's got a mentor you know check Check, check.
0: Well, you have to. Uh, I mean, you have to check that box. Otherwise, the the form on the big Hollywood studio website won't submit when you turn in <laughs> when you turn in your script. It's like the DMV. You know, you got yeah. you got to check that box.
2: Yeah, yeah, which is, of course, very realistically replicated in, in uh, Elysium, right, with his experience with his parole officer, which is really about the Los Angeles Department, of, uh, California State Department of Motor Vehicles, right, where everyone's waiting in the waiting room. Um, although I guess I've never been to a parole board hearing, so I don't oh, know if oh, it's Oh, like that's that the other
1: thing that the, the, total, the other Total Recall tie-in for this mm-hmm. movie, right? The parole officer looks a lot like the cabbie in Total Recall. Anyone? oh oh okay 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 that doesn't really open up any new line of discussion i just want to to keep talking about total recall give these people air give them air give them air well i mean
2: philip k dick was all about kind of uh what like I, i mean it's like like i'm just gonna rip that off in a sentence philip k dick was all about x and it's just gonna say it in one sentence it's gonna be done but philip k dick sort of used science fiction because he wanted to talk about experience uh in in a way that was sort of too uncomfortable and symbolic and sort of charged with significance for conventional fiction. Right, he's like because he has a bit an addict, and he was is on and off of drugs, and, and he was kind of pulling his life together, and he, he had this sort of you know really really uh, blown out broad conception of the kind of like highs and lows and sufferings of life, and, and so he picks science fiction because it gives him this opportunity to like vault to these great heights and plunge to these great depths, and his stories are charged with these these iconic images right of of like uh, of, of futurescapes that are really mindscapes. Uh, and, and right, and that's like what Total Recall. That's what Verhoeven is doing when Verhoeven is is sort of reading Philip K. Dick in Total Recall. It's like when he's reading Highland in Starship Troopers, and he's like, okay, let's flip that on its head. You're like, okay, let's use it to mock itself, or like let's like destroy it while we're imbuing it, right? Like, um, and then and then this movie it, it borrows a lot of the the one the one shots. It borrows like the individual tropes, but doesn't have the the sort of uh, the aesthetic or the sort of spiritual or or even the societal or any of that sort of depth. That uh, the top. I mean, I don't want to bash it. I liked Elysium. It was fun to watch, right? It's just, it's like not and also, fun to. Also, I mean,
0: in a in a, was it fun to watch? I mean, what, did you have an enjoyable experience watching this movie?
2: Uh, well, when the credits came up, somebody in my theater started slow clapping, and somebody else said, "Really," <laughs> which was kind of funny. <laughs> and then when the, when when the kid is on the thing on the on the thing, I might as well just call it the thing, the medical bench. Yeah. Uh, and like, and it start, and the thing goes. Atomizing. someone else called went, what? (laughs) Like, like, we lost patience with this movie as a group. Like, we we lost patience with it together. I felt like it was a mediocre science fiction movie that had some good ideas and some interesting scenes and then they decided to do it really, really fast. They made like every, so many of the scenes were like one line in and out, right? And it's like, it's like there were two lines of dialogue in the scene. Both actors knew, know exactly what lines are going to be said and it was like Matt Damon was already reacting To what the other person was going to say to him back, right? Because Matt Damon was going to say something, and someone else was going to say something really foreboding, and like Matt Damon was like already reacting to it, right? And was like, "Oh, this is going to launch the action in a whole new direction," right? Um, So it it kept its pace going. I guess I felt similar about this as I felt to Star Trek Into Darkness. Which made me want to go home and watch Wrath of Khan immediately. And we podcasted about that, right? Which was that, like, while I was watching it, it was going fast. It was interesting. Like, I did care about the characters. I thought Matt Damon did a good job. You know, a lot of the scenes were pretty. It was well composed. The music was good. The pacing was good. And then when it's all done and I start thinking about it, I'm like, but this is kind of garbage, right? Like, not a lot of this satisfies me, you know? And, like, I was kind of like, the excitement propels you in a direction of, of wanting a satisfaction from a movie that I felt like the movie. Uh, didn't didn't fill i don't no, know what feel, do you
1: think I, 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 I mean i'm with you on that yeah and just quickly uh, there's the the one of the most recent film crit hulk articles uh, is actually about the man of steel and describes exactly this problem right yeah. very pretty to look at well put together um you, you know you care about things here and there and it's overall entertaining but leaves you feeling very empty at the end of the sort of the, the it's it's far less than the sum of its parts
0: so I mean No, for me this this movie like like I feel like it failed me on a very basic pleasure level on a very basic <laughs> on a very basic hedonistic level, right? Like, I so I saw it. I, I've been going to this movie. It's it's funny. I've been for for other reasons. I've found myself in Hollywood, California. A, you know, a, which is I, I don't. It's not an incorporated city. I think it's a neighborhood of Los Angeles uh, that the, over the weekends. And so I've been going to see this in like the theater we have, and I've been like shelling out twenty bucks per movie ticket for every film that we've we've uh, discussed on the podcast, and so I've been seeing them in really excellent conditions of uh, conditions of ex- exhibition with you know gourmet food and you know hot artisanal coffee flown in from I don't know from the favelas of Brazil or whatever. Um, and uh, so I was watching this movie in the Cenerama Dome, and uh, if you don't know where the Cinerama Dome is, you can you can Google it. I'll just say that it it features in the title sequence of Entourage. Uh, it's a you know enormous theater. Um,
2: Do you think it'll make Entourage the movie, or is that one going to, want it to be in space for no reason? <laughs>
0: Uh, so, you know, so I saw this on an enormous... And if you know um, about the... If you're, you know, a nerd about, like, projection formats, Cinerama is a widescreen format that I think involves multiple cameras. And, like, the Wild Bunch, for example, is shot in Cinerama. You can Wikipedia it because, you know, we're all three clicks away from being an expert on every damn thing these days. Was um, the
2: Hustler in Cinerama or was that even in a bigger format?
0: I don't even know. I'm, I'm not oh. sure they got bigger than than Cinerama. Cinerama is the... Is like super wide. Anyway, so there's this giant dome, like planetarium looking kind of thing. And so I saw this on a giant dome. And like all the shaky cam fighting, all the like the the handheld jiggly jiggly stuff, um, that stuff like makes me sick to my stomach. And I I like I, I was not I I did not like enjoy looking at the screen during this <laughs> film right like i also didn't enjoy the experience of listening to it because mm-hmm. brah, mm, brah.
1: yeah yeah pete you mentioned you like the soundtrack but i complained about it on twitter earlier that uh it, it suffered uh over preponderance of brah, mm,
2: brah. i suppose maybe i just like the melody of that wonderful south african actor's voice as he played his his high-pitched evil Maybe uh, that was the Chateau Copley. Chateau Copley. Copley. I should remember Copley. That's an easy name for a Bostoner. I didn't.
1: I didn't like Charlotte Copley in this movie. Mostly because it just reminded me so much of District Nine, and how this movie was not really as good as District Nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's quite that simple for me. And and Fair it's enough.
0: it's something that I've shared with like I talked about it in World War Z, right? Like I didn't enjoy the experience of watching World War Z or Man of Steel, honestly, or Iron Man Three, or. Uh, I liked
2: Iron Man 3 I thought it was good You didn't like Iron Man 3?
0: No, I liked these movies But the experience of watching them Was like the experience of like Getting worked over by Olga Your masseuse, right? Like, or like, or by,
2: by g- mean, did like, you feel a profound sense of relaxation That you didn't want to tell your
0: friends or No, I about? felt like <laughs> I was getting barraged I mean, I felt like I was getting barraged And pummeled, right? I mean, yeah. and maybe worked over by, you know, I don't know A bunch of guys who are extorting you for protection money Or something like that Like, I, You know like, uh, pay us the twenty dollars. Uh no, let's do what shall we do? Let's do stereotypical Italians in honor of do the right thing. Hey, uh, pay us the twenty dollars or we're gonna bomb you some more. <laughs> no. Right? Like like it it the the sensory experience just on a very basic level of hedonistic pleasure of watching these films is not I I, I don't know. At least it doesn't it it is in tension with things that I <laughs> value in movies and like uh, a couple weeks ago we watched something i forget what exactly it was but it had as a trailer to it the secret life of walter Mitty, the the ben stiller um movie and there were a couple of shots that were uh,
2: that was r.i.pd i believe Oh, right? Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving was our, secretly the best movie of the summer which will continue to rise in our esteem over you know
0: time. what r.i.pd had a sense of of fun you know yes. what I mean? Had, <laughs> like, right? Like, had a sense of, like, pleasure. It was trying to construct something that was pleasurable to experience, um, mm-hmm. w- which I demand for my $20, right? Like, uh, the, um, yeah, uh, the the a couple shots. Like, there was an overhead shot in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and then just a couple of things that were so interesting, so well composed, so well photographed, that it made everything that... that came after look, um, I don't know, look, look pedestrian, right? Look banal. And, and it's been the case, uh, it's been the case also, like, uh, for, for a lot of these summer movies that not only do I feel sort of barraged, do I feel pummeled, um, do I feel like, uh, uh, worked over it, not in a, not in a pleasant way. I, I suppose not like Olga, uh, giving me a, a, a profound sense of relief that I'm kind of embarrassed to tell my friends about. Uh, not like that, but, but, um, but working me over in the sense of like, uh, sensory stimulation to the point of, of kind of pain and, and unpleasantness. But there's also been something visually, um, and, and I, I don't know, just there, there have been failures of imagination that, that make them boring in some, in some sort of profound way. And maybe that, maybe that gets at the, the larger unpleasantness that you're talking about of like feeling like, feeling like, I don't know, as overthinkers, you, you we want this art form even in its, uh, even in its crassest form to, sort of to nourish us or to, you know what I mean? To provide us with, with something that, w- that we find valuable that we can enjoy, that we can sort of chew over together, uh, as friends. And, and it's just been, uh, a, 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 a big failure of that for me this summer, largely even, even the movies I liked and, and I liked star Trek into darkness and I liked iron man three. Um, and yet still they there there was this sense of kind of larger larger malaise but it's a it's a malaise of a of a particular kind because it's a malaise that is hyperkinetic and it's a malaise that is is you know deafening and it's a malaise that is uh uh that masquerades as you know frenetic energy but but still is i think a malaise of of imagination
2: yeah um let let me ask you a question uh-oh. So if I'm if I'm this is a little unrelated. Okay, it's totally unrelated uh, because uh, I can't top that. Um, so if I were to install a security system on your computer, yes, that killed someone for accessing the most sensitive files that you have on your computer. When do you think it should kill that person? Should it kill them when they access the files the first time? When they download the files to another device? Should it should it kill them if? During the process of downloading, the packets are picked up by an intercepting computer and are de-encrypted sufficiently to understand the content of the transmission. Uh, or should it should it be killed if you yourself try to de-encrypt it or to read it? Or should it only kill you after you successfully uploaded the data to a third computer, which is undamaged? by You know, by what, Pete, the great, great
0: great art is uh, is ineffable, and you can't. It's mysterious. It's it's full of mystery and you know. <laughs>
2: Uh, we will never quite, uh, yeah, no, none of us will ever quite know what it takes to get to Elysium because they never quite explain it. Right. Although, I mean, it is a little bit, you know, telling that, right, remember, Elysium is the, the fields in the afterlife in Greek mythology where you go if you're a warrior, right, and, you're, and you're, or you're a virtuous person, right? Not like Valhalla quite, but like if you're a virtuous warrior type person or whatever, and, you're, and you die, you go to the Elysian fields, right, with Achilles or whatever. Uh, so is it to be understood that Matt Damon went to Elysium when he died? Because he like was worthy in the pursuit of his destiny, um, or is the movie not even quite stretching that far in the pursuit of its Greek metaphorical
1: title? Well, the Catholic nun told him that he had to fill his destiny, so uh, yeah, hopefully he went to Catholic heaven, right? You know, with the, the, the chill with the nun. Uh,
2: <laughs> they don't call the movie "Going to Catholic Heaven to Chill with the Nun," Mark. They call it Elysium. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there is <laughs> a sense of like an elysian middle uh not sorry of an earthling middle class right like not even like who's in charge on earth right Who no someone that?
2: has to teach the medical school where frey went right right another who's norse now we're all over the fricking place and is right. there a
0: sense i mean you get the sense that the, that the world is like one one large metropolis like one large interrupted urban area like presumably there you know montana is still pretty nice
2: yeah that was what I was wondering is there like a group of people living in Connecticut who are like oh Elysium is so last season I'm going to the
1: Hamptons
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean like is it or is it just Los Angeles all over the place and it's just like you've got all of the old buildings that were built in the 2130s and people have just built shanty houses on top of all of them rather than building more buildings where's the plumbing how do people poop like is there enough capacity to purify all the pooping water and if there is why can't they repurpose some of it into medical machinery But, but I guess you can't just turn a sewer into a doctor. I mean, but if they're both robots, come on, man! Like
0: you know, sometimes sometimes art raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> <laughs> uh well i i think we've answered all the questions we have on this overthinking it podcast so we'll leave the conversation there if you have anything you would like to say about Elysium, and please please like you know tell us talk about there's a lot more
2: to talk
1: about (laughs) like
2: why isn't jodie foster in an exosuit it's like the question that i want to (laughs) know
1: but what was the deal with jodie foster's freaking accent
2: uh-huh. <laughs> she's clearly representing the current president of the imf if you look her up uh you will just like a direct reference to her i believe uh
0: so um you can uh you can raise questions or answer by emailing us at podcast at overthinking.com uh you can call 203-285-6401 call or text 203-285-6401 and and we'll get to that listener feedback episode real soon now um Or you can join the conversation on the, uh, on the show notes for this podcast. We will be back next week. Uh, tune in um, Monday uh, or you know later on in the week if you uh, don't watch Breaking Bad until later on uh, to hear uh, Pete and other overthinkers talking about Breaking Bad. Uh, that's uh, going to be on YouTube uh, via Google Hangouts on Air, and we'll also get an audio version of that uploaded. Uh, so if you want to uh, do it, you're going to have to download the first one, but we'll get a a podcast feed going pretty soon. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week with another Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny.
1: It, it, it probably, probably
0: doesn't,
1: doesn't deserve. deserve. Does anybody have a Sharto Copley South African accent that they can do?
2: for this, but I am going to fight you with the robot (laughs) suit. I've got the cheeseburgers for everyone that I got from the Wendy's. Let's have a study break. (laughs)